0: Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Boring Bible Podcast. I'm Noah Randolph, small-time Bible nerd, here to bring you once more a chapter in the book of Deuteronomy. We are working through the book of Deuteronomy chapter by chapter, and today we are in chapter 26. This is going to be an interesting chapter. Loads to talk about. This is a transition ch- chapter. We finally made it. We've made it through so many of these individual one line or two line sentences in which uh, we get some really weird laws. And instead, we are moving into a time of reflection once again, a more historical perspective as we finish out the laws of specific stipulations that Moses has been laying out for us. This is going to be a good episode as we transition, so come along for the ride. a few brief updates real quick um, before we jump into this episode. Um, Currently, in real time, I record these episodes every week. Um, I uh, have actually accepted a new job um, and will no longer be uh, working as a teaching pastor at Wayfarers Christian Church. Um, This podcast, however, will still be going on. Um, I've decided, even though that this was a big part of my work at Um, The church. I still think it's been bringing some light and some influence to people, and uh, I've heard a lot of positive feedback on it. And I would hate to just cut it short um, right when I transition to a new job. And so, um, for the time being, at least, um, I'm going to keep this podcast up and running. Um, It will be loosely affiliated with Wayfarers Christian Church. Um, uh, The church has graciously said that they will uh, allow me to continue using their recording equipment and their studio space. Um, and allow me to continue making these. So for the time being, this isn't going away, even though I am stepping away from um, the teaching position here at Wayfarers. Um, And uh, as a result of that, um, I'm really excited that we can finish up these two books that we're going through. However, because um, I am uh, stepping away from that um, specific role at the church, I've decided to alternate these um, episodes back and forth now. Um, That just gives me uh, a lot more time to focus on my um, new job, and also more time to, um, for you guys to um, listen to each episode without feeling like you have two. Because I've noticed even with uh, releasing two episodes um, that sometimes it can be a little overwhelming to have to listen to two episodes. So we're going to go alternating back and forth between Deuteronomy and Romans. There'll be two um, weeks in which we focus on Deuteronomy and two weeks that um, we focus on Romans. Um, so that means that these books will be finished a lot slower um, than they um, were originally intended, um, but that's okay. I'm, I'm excited to um, continue this on, and um, I'm excited that um, there have been so many of you that have been interested in it, that, um, it would feel weird for me to kind of step away halfway through it being finished. Once, uh, once those books are finished, um, we'll kind of reassess whether or not what the future of this podcast looks like after that. Um, I'll, I'll do some thinking about that and see how, um, how things are working. Um, but for the time being, at least we'll continue to go through Deuteronomy and Romans and, uh, nothing will really change all that much apart from, uh, episodes will be released, um, uh, regularly every week instead of twice every week. Um, I think I'm going to stick with, um, releasing episodes on, um, Monday. I think that that works the best, um, as opposed to releasing them on Fridays. So, um, all of the episodes from this point forward will be released on, uh, mondays going here forward so there won't be an episode of romans dropping on friday instead that episode will drop on um, monday of next week and then the following week we'll go back to deuteronomy so um, that's a little bit of just logistics here before we get into this episode Um, Thank you guys again so much for listening to this every week. It really means a lot to me that you guys would choose to take time every week, especially with the Romans podcast, to listen to that for an hour and 30 minutes almost every week. So I I really appreciate that. But um, we're going to dive straight into chapter 26. 26 is an interesting chapter in a lot of ways, um, focusing specifically on how um, the uh, people of Israel are now supposed to... um, follow some more tithing regulations, you'll actually see a little bit of um, some of the older laws in uh, chapters uh, 15 and 16 kind of crop up here again. Um, You'll notice that um, last chapter was uh, focused pretty heavily on um, some of those laws as well, and this is no exception to that in this chapter. Um, The forefront of this whole chapter is to really give a perspective for Israel to remember once again their time in Egypt and to remember that the things that they own um, are not actually things that they earned, but are actually things that were given to them by God. And so there's a sense in which earning this land is never a category that they should have in their head, but instead that it has been a gift from God from the very beginning and that they should give that same gift to other people that are um, oppressed, or are foreigners, or um, people that are widows, or just have um, a way less fortunate of a life um, than they now do, um, and they're to remember that they themselves were slaves in Egypt, and um, so there's a there's an aspect to this in which. Um, Uh, Moses really lays on heavy-handed, once again, the concept of giving and how giving is something that um, isn't just a uh, thing that's required, but there are some really specific reasons for why it is required. And uh, a lot of those reasons stem from the fact that it keeps the people of Israel in a place of remembrance to their own time in the land of Egypt and how um, even the Egyptians gave To them when they exited the land of Egypt. And so um, it's a very important part of the entirety of their worship to God. And uh, it kind of culminates the entirety of this section in which we've been talking about how people are to be in relationship with other people, how to be righteous in relationship with other people. And as a result, um, the ending of this is um, very much focused on how um, whatever they uh, attain, whatever they work for, whatever their job gives them, um, parts of that need to go to other people and not just... um, Using all of that themselves. Parts of it need to be given to other people to benefit other people's lives um, because um, that is exactly how God handled the people of Israel. Um, And so that's going to be a big theme um, as a kind of Uh, Final kind of, I guess I would say, period to um, this whole section of laws in which we've been focusing on how to treat people um, respectfully and well instead of um, negatively. And so uh, in a huge way, um, from this point forward, um, Moses is going to kind of shift back into a preaching style throughout this rest of this book. Um, And this is the chapter that is the last chapter of really um, laws, um, but even here, it's not those like small laws. Like I said, it's it's a really long format kind of dis- descriptions of how to tithe throughout this chapter, um, and its focus is really on. Um, culminating all of the treatment of other people um and uh, it's important to realize that tithing isn't just something that you do but it's something that um it actually creates in you a willingness to give out of yourself for other people um and it's something that really helps um i think in some ways um inspire you to always be looking for opportunities to bless other people um i think i think in many ways it's kind of a ritual that um increases your love for it the more you do it um so yeah um there's a sense in which uh all of that will be talked about in this episode today so without further ado let's go ahead and dive into the chapter when you have entered the land the lord your god is giving you as an inheritance and have taken possession of it and settled in it take some of the first fruits of all that you produce from the soil of the land the lord your god is giving you and put them in a basket. Then go to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name. And say to the priest in office at that time, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the land the Lord swore to our ancestors to give to us. The priest shall take the basket from your hands and set it down in front of the altar of the Lord your God. Then you shall declare before the Lord your God, My father was a wandering Aramean, and he went down into Egypt with a few people and lived there and became a great nation, powerful and numerous. But the Egyptians mistreated us and made us suffer, subjecting us to harsh labor. Then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our misery, toil, and oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand outstretched arm with great terror and with signs and wonders he brought us to this place and gave us this land a land flowing with milk and honey and now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you Lord have given me place the basket before the Lord your God and bow down before him then you and the Levites and the foreigners residing among you shall rejoice in all the good things the Lord your God is giving to you and to your household When you have finished setting aside a tenth of all your produce in the third year, the year of the tithe, you shall give it to the Levite, the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that they may eat in your towns and be satisfied. Then say to the Lord your God, I have removed from my house the sacred portion and have given it to the Levite, the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, according to all you commanded. I have not turned aside from your commands, nor have I forgotten any. I have not eaten any of the sacred portion while I was in mourning, nor have I removed any of it while I was unclean, nor have I offered any of it to the dead. I have obeyed the Lord my God. I have done everything you commanded me. Look down from heaven, your holy dwelling place, and bless your people Israel in the land you have given us as you promised on oath to your ancestors, a lamb flowing with milk and honey. The Lord your God commands you this day to follow these decrees and laws carefully observe them with all your heart and with all your soul. You have declared this day that the Lord is your God and that you will walk in obedience to him, that you will keep his decrees, commands, and laws, and that you will listen to him. And the Lord has declared this day that you are his people, his treasured possession, as he promised, and that you are to keep all his commands. He has declared that he will set you in praise, fame, and honor high above all nations. He has made, and that you will be a people holy to the Lord your God, as he promised. Alright, so... Diving into verse 1 of this, um, we have a typical entrance in which um, many of these laws in Deuteronomy start with, which is, when you have entered the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance and have taken possession of it. Um, this is a law then that's instituted um, after they have already taken possession of the whole land and have settled it, right? Um, this is a law that doesn't happen until... Um, the entire area is taken over and they are filled with abundance and filled with new life. So this isn't something that even they would have like been doing like the very first year that they are in the land. This is something like like once the harvests have started coming in and everything is like really good and well settled, um, that's when this law takes effect. In verse two, it talks about this concept called the first fruits. Um, I think I've mentioned this here before, at least on a few podcasts. But um, they uh, they specifically would um harvest some of the first fruits of whatever their harvest were first this is kind of natural in farming is that there will always be some fruits that um are ready early and you can always harvest those before the rest of the crop comes in and um whenever you do that um the idea in their culture was to take these first fruits and um to actually put them aside and not to eat them normally in most of these cultures they would eat them right um this was like the first um, Uh, instance of them getting fruit. And as a result of this, um, they would eat it, right? Um, It's the first time for the year that they're going to have the the fruit that they can uh, use. And in most cultures, whenever you would have those first fruits, you would eat those yourself. And those would be kind of your pleasure um, fruit. And then the rest of the fruit would then be sold um, or used and stored in places for the rest of the year, right? Um, This is interesting that um, in this culture, God then, uh, takes the first of this. And instead of it being a focus on you get to eat it, um, the focus is, is you actually get to put it aside. And, um, I've talked about this with tithing in particular, just the concept of how, um, giving something from the very first of what you have is always a bit of a risk more so than giving after everything has come in for the, uh, for the month. Um, the idea of like giving, um, from this crop harvest that you expect to be there, but, um, you know, having this first small little bits of it um, as almost a down payment of sorts. And that's the only thing you can guarantee on because, like I said, farming is a very uh, risky affair and uh, a drought can come in or, or locusts can come in and really ruin your crop even before you actually have the full harvest come into effect. So there was always a sense in which, like, The very first of what you got, um, was always like more secure in some sense than, you know, you didn't know if the rest of the harvest was going to come in. And, uh, as a result, this giving of the first fruits and putting them aside, not even using them for your own well um, is really, uh, priming this whole culture um, to really trust in God for the rest of the harvest to come in. And as a matter of fact, you'll see throughout the rest of this um, whole chapter how that focus is really um, primary in um, the whole um, concept of how the Israelites are to see themselves in relation to the land the Lord um, has given them. So um, they're to keep all these uh, first fruits separate. Um, and then they are go to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name. this is very much related to the concept of the festivals that we were talking about. remember they were supposed to set apart um, certain um, foods um, and wines for um, the festivals that would take place at the temple site and this is the very same thing here they're supposed to set aside their first fruits. Um, some people have assumed that first fruits are the things they set aside. other people have assumed that, um, This is a completely different tithe altogether, Um, and people debate that back and forth. Um, I will say that overall, it seems more convincing to me that this is um, kind of subsumed into the three festivals, and that this isn't just like um, a a fourth tithe, Um, but instead it's like uh, by fourth tithe, I I, I just mean like a tithe that they have to bring apart from the three main festivals they bring, but the, the first fruits really were the the ties they bring at the festivals and this is just really kind of bringing out that um, in more detail and giving a specific law. Remember that oftentimes Deuteronomy will even reiterate some of the older laws. We've already seen that. So it makes sense for all of it kind of be to be reiterated here as a concept here. So, um, because I take that view, um, I don't think that they were demanded to give like thirty to forty percent of what they were um, earning um, to the Lord. I think it. I think it was far more likely that this is kind of subsumed underneath um, the tithes that they had to give when they went up for the different festivals. And as a result of that, um, it kind of carries the same. Um, intentionality that those festivals had. Remember, they were to go up to the temple and they were to share the things that they had saved up with the Levite, with the widow, with the fatherless, with the foreigner, and they were to have a big party, right? Well, that's exactly what we see here in these verses, right? Um, They put them in a basket, then they go to the place and they say to the priest, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the land the Lord swore to our ancestors to give us. And the priest then is going to take the basket from their hands and set it down in front of the altar of the Lord your God. So they do this actually inside the tabernacle slash temple um, where the altar of the Lord your God is. And then um, the uh, person that brings the offering declares before the Lord your God, my father was a wandering Aramean. And this is really interesting because you'll see this actually as like um, kind of a a, special almost like a a speech of history about what what has brought them to this land. And um, the focus is, of course, my father being Abraham, and Abraham was an Aramean, and he went down into Egypt, um, as we know in the story of Genesis, and lived there and became a great nation, powerful and numerous. Um, so, this is kind of skipping the fact that Abraham went back to Canaan and then, you know, Jacob went down there again. <laughs> you know, they went down to Egypt quite a bit in Genesis, actually. But, skipping all of that, they essentially end up living in the nation of Egypt. And the Egyptians then started mistreating them after the time of Joseph. And uh, so, they are to reiterate that history of how they were mistreated. Um, specifically fo- focusing in on the fact that they were a foreigner living in the land of Egypt. Then in verse seven, they cry out to the Lord the God of our ancestors, and God heard their voice and saw their misery, toil and oppression. This is something that comes up time and time again. Um, when they when the Israelites reiterate their history is they focus on the misery and toil and oppression that they were undergoing and how God heard their cry, right? And so God brought them out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. That's the focus on how God's um, might is always the big important part of this entire worship system that they are doing, um, the strength and how easy it is for him to rescue his people. Um, that's one of the most prevalent things you'll see in Deuteronomy is the focus on how powerful God is. Um, and as a result of his outstretched arm, Um, he does it with great terror and signs and wonders, right? This is think the plagues, right? Um, He punishes the people that were oppressing um, the oppressed and the oppressed now get to go free. He brought us to this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you Lord have given me. So what's this first fruits supposed to be? Well, it's a response to God's salvation, right? Um, The idea is they don't just get to enjoy salvation from Egypt. They have to, to, um have a response to that salvation. Um, they have to have a heart that's understanding of how much God worked in their lives and how powerful a role he played in their lives. And as a result, um, they have to have an action or a ritual that they perform um, yearly, That allows them to give back to God in a small portion what God gave back to them. This is interesting because it also is pulling on the theme of humans being trees and us being fruit bearing trees. And the idea here is that, like, just because God saves you doesn't mean that you aren't supposed to bear fruit back to Him in return, you know? And uh, this is something that the New Testament will pick up with the fruits of the Spirit, right? And the idea isn't that. Just Christians are saved by Jesus, and then we can just go, go about our merry way. No, we're supposed to have fruits that are given, um, fruits like self control and love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, right? And those fruits are then what um, we give back to the Lord um, as an offering for the salvation that uh, God has given us, right? Um, this is a really important part to the entirety of the story of the Old Testament as well. And like I said, you know me, um, I always love to point out how the Old Testament and the New Testament testament are not as far removed from one another as you might think they are as a result um they're to declare this and say i have done it right like i've given the first fruits and this is really for them i think in a sense um to be able to get to have this sense of um like really a call and response almost like um responsive readings in our culture and in our time period are very i think um uh outdated but i think a lot of what this is is really a, a, res- a call and response, a kind of responsive reading, if you will, and it really helps to cement in the mind just a moment in time where you're declaring before um, the priest, in this case, um, just the fact that you have followed the Lord's commands, and then that can sit in your mind as a um, reassurance of you um uh, having done what you're supposed to do as opposed to just kind of wondering kind of by by doubt um, every day of your life did i really actually follow this no you have a moment in time where you actually like read this aloud and you said in front of the priest i did it you know um, and i think that there's there's an inherent part to um responsive readings that allow us that opportunity to be able to declare things vocally um, that give us a sense of security um, where our minds may doubt a lot. At least we have that moment in time where we spoke it aloud and it gives us a bit of confidence in ourselves even. And I think that's why why uh, God's demanding that they um, say it in front of the priest. Um, place the basket before the Lord, your God and bow down before him. Then you and the Levites and the foreigners residing among you shall rejoice in all the good things the Lord, your God has given you and your household. So you make a declaration. I'm assuming after this, they would probably leave the area where the altar was and then go back outside and then enjoy the meal outside. This, this seems to be like the idea is that, um, uh, they then have their party outside like the, um, uh, uh, chapters that came before this. And I believe that was chapter 15 or 16. It might've been 16. Yeah. 16 and chapter 16 kind of layout. So, um, a lot of this chapter, if you guys want a refresher on all of that, go back and listen to chapter 16 of um, this podcast. Um, you'll get a lot more of like how that ceremony and how everything was supposed to go once they left the temple. Um, verse 12, um, It then says, When you have finished setting aside a tenth of all your produce in the third year, the year of tithe, you shall give it to the Levite, the foreigner, and the fatherless, and the widow, so that you may eat in your towns and be satisfied. Um, Then say to the Lord your God, I have removed from my house the sacred portion and given it to the Levite, the foreigner, and the fatherless, and the widow, according to all you commanded. I have not turned aside from your commands nor have I forgotten any of them. I have not eaten any of the sacred portion while I was in mourning, nor have I removed any of it while I was unclean, nor have I offered any of it to the dead. I have obeyed the Lord my God. I have done everything you commanded me. So here's a second um, kind of law that talks about giving um, every third year. What's interesting about this is this is the only place in the entire um, law where this law comes up, that they're supposed to give every three years. Um, And it's interesting because it's caused a lot of debate about, you know, um, why is this here? And, you know, a lot of uh, biblical scholars like to try and figure out, like, um, was this an addition to the text and a lot of things of that nature. Like I said, I try not to get into source criticism too much on this podcast. It is a thing, and it's definitely something that I encourage you guys to research and learn about because it really helps you understand um, some of the different ways of uh, reading the uh, text, especially from, like, a more literary perspective. But overall, I try and be more thematic with my readings than anything. And as a result, I take this third year uh, tithe um, to really be more of a general um, rule of thumb when it comes to how they are to handle all of these different festivals um the festivals are always to happen every year and they're always to set a set aside something for these festivals and i believe that it's the first fruits um, that they are to set aside for those festivals with the third year i do think that um, it's almost kind of implied that um, they are to set aside something in excess to those first fruits, right? And, um, the excess that they're to set aside is what they will then give on the third year. So you really have, um, a setting aside for those festivals that's taken place. And that's what you take from the first fruits. Um, and then you have a setting aside for, um, the third year. And those are really the two setting asides. Um, again, people have tried to figure this out for a very long time and it, Never works out the way that any of them, I think, want it to work out. Um, but, in a, but in a huge way, I think, I think it makes the most sense to say that they had three festivals that they would set aside all their first fruits for those three festivals, right? Um, and then as a result, after those three festivals occurred, um, they would have a third year in which they would have an additional um, tie that would be set aside, which was a tenth of all the produce in the third year. Um, and that, I think, I, I really do think is part of, um, uh, like, how the additional, like, tithe that went to the Levites and the priests. That's a really important tithe that they're supposed to do. I I wonder sometimes if that that third year tithe um, is meant for the Levites in particular. Um, There's a lot of debate on that about whether or not that coincides with some of the other laws about tithing to the Levites in specific. Um, There's a passage in Deuteronomy 14, verses 28 and 29 that says, at the end of every three years, you shall bring out all of the tithe of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the so- sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are within your town shall come and eat and be filled, and the Lord your God may bless you and all the work of your hands that you do. So there is a sense in which um, all of these laws, in some way, shape, or form, are focused on Levites and uh, specifically foreigners. So there, uh, there's a lot of that uh, that I, I I think is probably what's going on here, where a lot of these laws are just getting reiterated and. Um, the law of the first fruits is probably being brought into effect for the festivals in particular. So keep that in mind. Again, remember the Levites were a people that don't have their own land, don't have their own farm, so they have to get their food from somewhere, and it has to be provided by the people. Um, and while they do get food every year from these festivals that happen, they also get food every three years. That sounds like it would be a lot more than just their um, uh, the small amount that they might put aside for, um, the festivals. And, uh, while what they would put aside for the festivals was like a one meal thing, this feels like 10% of all of the produce that you earn, right? Like that would be a lot, that would be a lot. And so this feels like something that the Levites could live off of a lot more easily than, um, just the first fruits. Um, the first fruits, like I said, aren't going to be a lot. It's just going to be whatever's first grown. Right. Um, whereas this, this part at least Seems a little bit more likely to have like um, longevity to it when it comes to how the um, Levites are to live when they don't have the ability to be able to grow crops on their own since they don't have land, they just live in cities either way um, you can do some more research on that and um, see if there's any other way to kind of work out all of that. Like I said, I was reading a few commentaries on this and it felt like everybody kind of was just throwing up their hands and saying, we don't really know how this all works out. Um, so, uh, whenever I read that in commentaries, when they have kind of a split opinion on something, um, it just seems to me that, um, the easiest way to interpret such passages is to be honest and say, yeah, we don't really know. And, uh, Uh, It's something that for research and um, maybe someone can write like a dissertation on it. You know, Uh, that's what uh, that's what doctorates are for after all. So um, they have this third year where they set aside all of this and uh, they give it to the Levite, the foreigner. And once again, they are to declare that they have um, done what God commanded them to do Um, and What's interesting is there's verse 14 that says, um, that they are not to offer they that there's a few spec, uh, specifications to what they haven't done. They haven't eaten of that portion when they were mourning. Like, you know, basically if you were like fasting, um, they didn't see that sacred portion as something that they could do when they were like fasting and mourning, um, They haven't removed any of it while they were unclean. They haven't touched it and made it unclean, basically, and nor have they offered it to the dead. Like They haven't given it to people that may have died in the family, Um, and they haven't given a portion of that as an offering to the dead, which is something that uh, Canaanites would have done quite heavily. Um, Instead, they've kept it for one specific purpose, and that is to the worship of God, um, and to help people. Remember, this is all kind of being tied together in this idea of love God and love your neighbor, right? And that's what this portion is for. It's to love God and love neighbor. Um, And they are declared that they obeyed God because of those stipulations, and they are then to ask God to do something in return. They're to ask him to look down from his holy place in heaven, And bless your people, Israel, and the land you have given us as a promise to our oath uh, of oath to our ancestors, a lamb flowing with milk and honey. So the idea here is continue to bless this land, continue to let it be flowing with milk and honey because we've done our part. If only they had actually done that. (laughs) Um, Things would have gone so much better for them. The Lord your God commands you this day to follow these decrees and laws. Caref- carefully observe them with all your heart and with your soul. There's the Shema coming back again, right? The idea being meaning that it's your heart that's willing to follow these decrees. That's the most important thing. You have declared this day that the Lord your God, uh, the Lord is your God, and that you will walk in obedience to him. That's a really important point, too, is that a lot of these laws are declaring just who God is, right? Um, God is putting his personal stamp on all of these laws. And so you get a sense from this whole chapter that God is generous, right? That he's a God that is very willing to be generous and he wants his people to trust in him. And he wants that generosity to be shared with the people around them, whether they're a foreigner or a widow or fatherless, whatever it may be. He wants them to share in his inheritance of this land, right? That's a phrase that will come up a lot in the New Testament is sharing in the inheritance that he's given now that he saved them right? This is all kind of here in Deuteronomy and he wants them to obey him, right? Uh, if you love me, you'll obey my commands is something Jesus will say. Um, this is something that's part of, um, Deuteronomy and it's part of following the Shema that you will keep his decrees, laws and, uh, commands and laws, and that you will listen to him. Um, that's, I think the word Shema right there. Yep. And that you will Shema him. And the Lord has declared this day that you are his people, his treasured possession, um, that idea of being a treasured possession, it's like they are more valued than any other nation in the land because for him, it's the one that he selected out of. This is kind of the concept of election here, um, how he selected Israel out and above all the other nations to be a special possession that he loves in particular because he has Um, Visions for what he wants them to be, and he wants them to represent himself to the rest of the nations, right? Um, This is why he chose Abraham in the first place. Um, is because he wanted Abraham to show um, who he is, who God is, and be uh, a demonstration of God's name to all of the rest of the nations. As he promised that you are to keep all his commands, he has declared that he will set you in praise, fame, and honor high above all the nations. He has made... He is made, and that you will be a people holy. Holy here means set apart, um, set apart from the rest of the nations to the Lord your God as he promised. So here's the final kind of idea of why all of these stipulations are here, right? They are to be set apart as holy, and all of this is to really show that Israel from the very beginning was elected to be this treasured possession that God loves and cherishes and takes care of. They love and cherish God by obeying his commands and the back and forth between that shows this beautiful relationship in which the rest of the nations, um, can come and take part in. And, uh, the foreigners can actually enjoy in this relationship between Israel and God, if they step into that, um, role, um, with all of the festivals and with all of the things that are to be taken place. And even if they begin to follow some of the same laws that God is asking, uh, Israel to follow, right? Like here's the entire, like, um, summation of all these stipulations is just really to show that the love of God by Israel to God is then what brings a light to other people and that the love of God, um, is what brings a love of neighbor neighbor. Um, and you can't have a love of neighbor without a love of God. Um, and that's the real big point. In our culture today, there's a huge focus on the um, loving neighbor without loving God. And I do see that as a detriment to our society is that oftentimes what that ends up in is a kind of shaming culture where you're just shaming people for not loving one another. And what really needs to happen is an, a re rethinking of how uh, loving God is the sole um, origin of loving neighbor, and that when you love God, that is your that is your reason for following the commands, not because people are trying to culturally shame you into following the commands. It's something that I've thought about a lot with um, church in general, as a lot of times, even in churches today, um, we attempt to shame people into following God's commands, and that's never a way to uh, go about things, because if you're shamed into following a command, you're not actually... Uh, following the command because you love God, you're just obeying it because you want to avoid shame. Um, and what needs to happen is you need to have the Shema take root in you where you love God so much that you follow the command because you love God. Um, and that that is a very different way to do things. The hard thing is that churches have never really figured out how to how to make that happen. It really has to happen in the individual where they like learn to love God with all of their heart, soul, and strength. And when that happens within them, uh, that's not something a church can really facilitate. It's just something that is a personal relationship that grows between um, the human and God. And uh, while it's a command to do that, you can definitely command your people in your congregations to do that like Moses commanded these people here it's also something that like on a scale of difficulty is very difficult and uh as a result like it's something that just uh, really you have to allow god to work within their heart i think and by the time you get to the newspaper. Uh, New Testament, Paul will even go so far as to say commands like this actually make things worse, and that it's uh, the Holy Spirit that actually inspires that love of God so that we can then love neighbor. Um, And it's a really important point to bring up here um, as we close out this section of stipulations that focus on neighbors and how to love your neighbors correctly is that even beyond all these laws that were mentioned, um, the focus and primary aspect of Deuteronomy is the Shema and is that loving of God, which then leads to a loving of neighbor. You don't start with loving neighbor um, first. You start with loving God and you build your relationship with God first that then the outpouring of that overflows into the lives of the people around you. Um, and it, as a result of that, like it becomes way less about... Um, trying to shame people into doing certain actions that you see them not doing. Rather, it would be better if you instead encourage them to meditate more, to have times in solitude, um, to read their Bible, um, and have that sense not just of like doing check marks off of a list, but instead of having that sense of desire of wanting to grow closer to God and allowing the Spirit of God within you to change you slowly over time. I think that that's a far more accurate depiction of what Even Deuteronomy is trying to say here, which is that um, and especially in the Old Testament times, too, I want to bring this point up as well at the end of this is that um, their focus isn't just um, that like you love God with this like metaphysical, spiritual kind of spirit that comes within you and then love that causes you to love God no the way that they loved God is that they are to recite all of the times that God did wonderful things for them right like they're to remember all the times that God loved them and that's what really inspires them to love and you know a big part of that is history right they're Their history, the Israelites history of being in the land of Egypt and God rescuing them out of it. Right. Um, And I think it's you know, I don't think it's without reason that like one of the reasons the church is struggling with people doing good things for one another and being kind to one another um, is that we've kind of divorced that concept from history and from um all the history of Christianity and the history even of the Old Testament. And because we've divorced those things, um, it just sounds a lot like sermons that are preached about doing good things as opposed to giving us the whys, the history behind why we should be doing those good things, Um, which is not how Moses preaches these kinds of sermons. He will always tag on to the end of all the laws, here's why we're doing this, right? And the reason you're doing this is because it was done to you. Like you had it done in Egypt to you. You had God do it to you. And you need to think about that and meditate on that and realize all the things God's doing for you every day of your life. And that works far more like like it. That's far more likely of a reason to then be someone that then gives to others when you realize how much God has given to you. Because then the shaming component is your own inner realization of what God's done for you, not someone else on the outside trying to shame you um, to do something. And I think that that's a very, very important and integral part to following the Christian walk is to allow your own conscience and your own relationship with God to define your relationship with other people, not letting other people define your relationship with other people. Um, that can actually help a lot with a lot of the political issues that we have in our world today, um, and can really, uh, improve, I guess, the sense of shame that people might feel, um, in our lives as we live today. So hopefully that helps as a way of understanding like what this chapter overall can, um, communicate because it's really powerful it's a it's an important point It's that um, all of these tithes one are not just because the church told you to tithe and just because the church needs money right the reason you tithe is actually from a place of um, uh, love for God and um, thankfulness for God rescuing you and tithing to you by giving you a land in the land of Canaan right Um, in in your case you know, four thousand years later, um, it's not necessarily a land of Canaan God's given you. But we've talked about that in the podcast before. How he's giving you job, He's giving you children, He's giving you uh, a lot of things that you can say um, are a tithe from God to you that you then steward in this life and that you take care of because He's giving you, um, and that one day um, He will demand those back. And so as a result, like. The concept here is that because you see all that you have been given as a tithe, you then tithe to other people as well. You've been given to first, so then give back because you've been given to first. I mean, that's a very different mindset than um, anything uh, that I see even in churches today where uh, oftentimes giving is not framed even that way. Um, giving oftentimes is framed in a way that's much more about like um, uh Things related to just how, uh, uh, It's a need in the community, and you need to help the community and things of that nature. And I'm not saying that's wrong, but the why behind it that God has given to you is something that we often miss um, in our communication of those kinds of messages. And uh, it's something that I think is very integral to this passage, and it's something that I think um, you're actually even demanded to speak vocally in front of the people you give to um, is why you are doing this is because God gave to you first. And it kind of exists as this uh, declaration of sorts to um, God's faithfulness to you. Um, It's a really important point, especially for the New Testament when we speak of grace itself being a gift and how, because God gave the gift of grace to us, we then give grace to other people. So a lot of things to think on there. um, A lot of things to meditate on there. I think that's a really powerful place to end it. So thank you guys so much for tuning into this episode and we'll be back in your feed again next week to go through the book of Romans. Thank you guys so much. Bye.